So we left off last week with the story of Joseph and his 11 brothers. Together they make the 12 tribes of Israel. This week we're going to proceed to Exodus. But before we get started, let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you that we can gather together and learn from you. I just pray that your Holy Spirit fills us up, that you open our hearts for what you have to, have to say to us. I pray that um, you speak to them, each and every person out here, including myself directly, that there's nothing special that I am doing here, but everything uh, would be blessed through you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So the beginning of Israel starts with Abraham, who is the father of Jacob. So let's read what God tells Abraham about the enslavement and the exodus of the Israelites. This is found in Genesis 15, 12 through 15. Please stand for the reading of God's word once you have found it. As the sun was setting, Abraham fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. You, however, talking to Abraham, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached the full measure. You may be seated. These verses lay the foundation of Exodus. Here God gives the tribe of Israel a heads up before Israel ended up in slavery. God's perfect plan involved his beloved people going into slavery and being abused. But it also involved Israelites coming out with great treasures. A perfect Savior will one day come from this very imperfect family tree. Only God can do something like that. Here is how things progressed. In Exodus 1, 6 through 10, we find this. Now Joseph and all his brothers... And all that generation died. But the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that they filled, or the land was filled with them. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become too far numerous for us. Come. We must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. This is what fear does to the Pharaoh. We can see the Pharaoh has a fear of losing his slaves, the Israelites. He says he's worried they will fight and leave. It doesn't sound like... He's that worried about them taking the kingdom. 
The Pharaoh is worried about power and wealth. This causes him to oppress God's people and weaken his kingdom tremendously. The Pharaoh has an unbalanced fear. We are supposed to fear God, not man. Jesus tells us to fear the one who can destroy the body and the soul. If the Pharaoh remembered how powerful the God of Joseph is, he may have avoided a whole lot of problems. So what does the Pharaoh do? We find this in Exodus 1, 11 through 14. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor, and they built uh, Pithom and Ramses as store cities for the Pharaoh. But the more they oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. If we look back to Joseph having authority during the famine, we will find that he helped increase the slave labor economy. And we find this in Genesis 47, 18 through 21. It reads, When that year was over, they came to him, speaking of Joseph, the following year and said, We cannot hide from our Lord the fact that since our money is gone and our livestock belongs to you, there is nothing left for our Lord except our bodies and our land. Why should we perish before your eyes? We and our land as well. Buy us and our land in exchange for food. And we with our land will be in bondage to the Pharaoh. Give us seed so that we may live and not die. And that the land may not become desolate. So Joseph bought all the land in Egypt for the Pharaoh. The Egyptians, one and all, all sold their fields because the famine was too severe for them. The land became the Pharaoh's, and Joseph reduced the people to servitude from one end of Egypt to the other. So not only were the Hebrew slaves, but also a majority of the Egyptians were. And because of the fear of the Pharaoh, the Israelites were treated way worse than the Egyptian slaves. Also, out of fear, the Pharaoh does something really evil. He orders to kill all boy Israelite babies. He tells the midwives it's their job to kill them at birth. In Exodus 1.17, it says, The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Now we see the midwives had a balanced fear. They feared God and would not kill the babies. And God ends up blessing them for this. And they start having babies of their own. There is this saying, faith over fear. But it's not faith over fear. Because there's some fear in faith. Fear is not something that we should get rid of. 
It's something that we should balance. I think to understand God and his desires, we should look at a few verses to help balance our fear. So we read about this in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Also, in regarding balanced fear, we should read Philippians 2, 28 through 30. I think these verses kind of go together well with each other to balance that out. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I, this is Paul speaking, same person at row four, may have less anxiety. So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. So I don't want you to read Philippians 4 and think there is no reasonable anxiety. As Paul said, he was anxious because his friend and co-worker almost died. Paul had a legitimate reason for anxiety. But we do fight some anxiety with prayer and faith. There are some anxieties that we aren't supposed to have, as Paul says. Also, we read about fear in Jeremiah 32, 39, and 40. I will give them singleness of heart and action so that they will always fear me and that all will go, all will then go well for them, for their children after them. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good to them and I will inspire them to fear me so that they will never turn away from me. So notice the everlasting covenant in that. This is what God promised for the New Testament or the New Covenant. A people who will fear him and not turn away. This is the fear balance that we should have. God gave us fear like he gave us hunger. These are things that help us survive. There was a time where I delivered appliances. I delivered them for about 10 years. And one day I was delivering a central air unit on a rooftop in a sky rise in downtown Cincinnati. And we had to have this crane come in and lift this thing all the way on the top of the rooftop. And lucky me, I was a guy who had to go up there to the edge of the building to guide the unit as it came down from the crane. And you better believe I had more than a healthy dose of fear. You know, you've heard of things like having butterflies in your stomach. I had a whole swarm of butterflies in my stomach. Almost to the point where I would throw up, and I'm glad that I didn't because I don't know who I would have hit all the way down there. What would have happened with throw up? goes that fast, that far. But anyway, um, and my experience in life also has taught me that when unnatural things happen, like death of a, someone or abuse or trauma, it can raise our anxiety. And it's a constant struggle to rein that in. And we should continue to pray for godly balance of fear, especially when we struggle with that. Praying to God 
each and every day to help us as we walk through it. If we don't know how to help those with anxiety, we should also be praying for God to help us when we're around our friends, our coworkers, our family with anxiety. One day, our Savior will deliver us from all bad anxiety. And we have to be patient because it may happen on this earth, but it might not until the Lord takes us home. Now, in Egypt, it is a fearful and trying time. And God has a plan for the Israelites. He is working out the details, and the Pharaoh doesn't even realize how close the Savior from God is to him. We find this starting in Exodus 1.22 through Exodus 2.3. Then the Pharaoh gave the order to all his people. Every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. Remember, the midwives wouldn't do it, so now they're throwing the babies in the river. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And that whole Levi thing is important because that's where the priests come from, so it's just kind of showing you um, the priesthood there. When we saw that he was a fine child, he hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it, put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. So who was the child? That child was Moses. We will see later in Exodus that the salvation of God will come through Moses. So let's see how close Moses was to the Pharaoh. We find this in Acts 7, 20 through 22. At that time, Moses was born, and he was no ordinary child. For three months, he was cared for by his family. When he was placed outside, the Pharaoh's daughter took him in, brought him up as her own son. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. The Pharaoh's daughter raised Moses. He was even educated by the Pharaoh's daughter, the very child Pharaoh raised will help deliver them. Here, the Pharaoh thinks, I will make sure I can keep the Israelites as slaves. And because of that move, because of throwing those babies into the river, Moses gets educated. And I believe that played a big role in what God was doing in Moses' life. And not only that, but remember, Moses is credited to writing the first five books of the Bible. And even Jesus spent time in learning. When Jesus was 12 years old, Jesus was being trained. And we find this in Luke 2, 46 and 47. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to him, talking about Jesus in the temple courts as a kid, asking them questions. Everyone heard him and was amazed at his understanding and his answers. I think sometimes we just imagine Jesus talking from birth, not messing his diapers as babies do, or if he did, that it smelled like roses. Jesus was also a human. 
Jesus did have to learn. And he was unlike any other man, for he never sinned. He was the very word of God. But let's not forget, he still did have to put some work in to what he did. And then the question we should ask ourselves is, are we preparing for what God has in store for us? Are we training in godliness? Where will we be in five years if we continue training in godliness? Will we have less anxiety? Will we have more Bible verses memorized? Will we treat our families better? Will we be more loving to people? Maybe we'll invite more people to church to learn about Jesus our Lord and God the Father. I hope we don't think that we have reached our goal and are complacent. So let's read on and see what happens next. In Exodus 2, 11 and 12 is where we find it. One day after Moses has grown up, he went out where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people, looking this way and that, and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. It appears he is living with the Pharaoh's daughter or somewhere else besides the Israel, with the Israelites at that time because the scripture said one day he went to see his people. And you can see Moses' passion for his people being abused. It sounds like he is tired of living comfortably and is ready to make a noble change. Now, I'm not sure how things went wrong and he killed the Egyptian, but it sounds like it was premeditated murder. And this was before God gave the Israelites the law. So he hid the Egyptian in the sand and he thought he got away with it. And I don't know if Moses was like that one kid in hide and seek that thought he was like real smooth and sneaky and hides behind the tree and everybody sees him. Or if like he made a sandcastle and was like, I don't know what that is, but he got busted. And then the story goes on in Exodus 2, 13 and 14. And it says, the next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked one, he asked the one who was wrong, why are you hitting the fellow Hebrew? Then the man said, who made you judge and ruler over us. Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? I kind of wonder if when God put Moses as the judge over his people, if he had a conversation with that individual about it later. But think about it. This was a good thing that the Israelite busted Moses. Why? Because the Israelite tells Moses that he was caught before the Pharaoh caught him. I think in this story, sometimes we miss all the small details that God puts in the story to fill, fulfill his purpose. Remember, Moses, wherever he was staying, was not in the same place where all his fellow Israelites were working. And for him to find out from an Israelite in the way that he did seems like it is the provision of God to keep him alive. 
he probably wouldn't still be living if the Egyptians seized him. But instead, since he found out from a fellow Israelite, he was able to escape before the news spread. If we are God's children, I'm sure there are little instances like this in our lives, and we often don't even notice. I'm sure in this room there would be a lot of stories about things that happened to us that caused us to be sitting in this room right now. God has all the details worked out. He knows everything, as it says in Matthew 10, 29 through 31. Are not two sparrows sold for one penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. God knows how many hairs we do or don't have on our head. He will make sure his children are all right. This should remind us that our God cares and nothing happens without his approval. There are some complicated things that do happen in this world. And our human minds can't comprehend these deeper things of God. But sometimes we have it backwards and think no sparrow can drop without our approval. I can assure you, if we as mere humans were in control of this world, we would mess everything up. God has this big, glorious plan that is unfolding. And if we are patient, and continue in the faith, we will get a great inheritance that outweighs any trouble on this earth. Our God is so holy and righteous, unlike humans, he never fails at this. Well, there is only one human that has and will, ever, will never fail. That is our Lord Jesus. He is a perfect son who was tortured worse than a slave so that peace could be made between God and man. Our God, once again, used a messed up situation to bring about his perfect plan. And if you don't know who God is or want to learn about finding forgiveness through Jesus and becoming one of his sons, please come and see me after the service. Lord willing, I will continue on Exodus next week. I broke it up into two because we'll be here all day if I went through all of Exodus. But we'll continue in it next week um, when we come back, the rest of the story in Exodus. So let me go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for bringing your people together to read your words. I just pray that this edifies us, that it trains us in holiness and righteousness that you perfect us as we get closer and closer to meeting you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.